Okay. All right, kids. We've got an unexpected bonus episode out of this How to Get Hired in Tech. And that's on sliding in the DMs. We (laughs) had a friend of ours actually shoot us a note and we were like, yeah, bet. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Adam Goyette proposed that we take this even further and we talk about how to weigh multiple offers slash how to say no to something when it's not right and like how to know what what's what stage of company you want to be at and like the type of company that aligns with your personal priorities and goals. Adam and I worked together at G2 where he led the killer demand gen team. He left kind of for a remote company and obviously a bigger and better job. He's now the VP of marketing at Help Scout. He simply does these incredible things everywhere he goes. And as much as we'd love to give him all the credit for that, it's pretty clear that he's made some moves very carefully and it's obviously worked out for him. Yeah. Not only is Adam just an absolute wizard when it comes to his actual job, he attracts people who create and become like this amazing team that work under him and just like get shit done and can be just excelling from an execution and strategy standpoint. So to do that, you kind of have to have the confidence that not only comes with like knowing you're good at your job, but also knowing when and where to make the right moves strategically in your career. So he is joining us today to basically tell us how to choose the the company that that's best for you, what stage of company that's in and like what the team kind of looks like. The truth is there is no best tech company to work for. People need to match the role in the company to their priorities in life. And just like your priorities in life can change, you need that from your company as well. And that's why people these days don't spend their entire career at one company. Because as your life and priorities evolve, so should your working environment. So should everything around you, you know? We're going to basically just chat all about that today and go through the stages of the companies that tech startups kind of go through and what's potentially best for you. We never do these in the morning, so. I know, I'm like, hi. Stretch, stretch it out. Oh. <laughs> when do you normally do them at night? Yeah, like five Chicago time. Okay. Just after. Just after. Just after. So, let's just walk through the stages of a tech company and like what they offer in terms of benefits, priorities, things you might not know, the good and the bad. So like seed, seed round tiny team they just proved that they have something there's an idea people are into it maybe (laughs) maybe the whole thing is maybe actually the whole thing is like a soft maybe yeah but this is also when most change i feel happens within a company the earliest of stages because you just pivot a million and seven times i have no like actual experience at seed stage companies because it's a team of four people and I've never been in a position to be like, oh yeah, I can do that with my life and my career. But I have like advised. It's like a more in like a later stage in your career sort of thing because you're coming in and you're going to be like the first or like first. It has to be like late, I think, because the my content manager on my team technically was in seed round with them. And he was like the third employee because he started as an intern, but he was right out of college. Yep. Um, so you have like, I think you have a mix of executives and then 
people that are executors. Yeah. And that's fine. And that it's usually like you're wearing a lot of hats and typically everybody kind of reports to the founder. And I think they do have a lot of external guidance and help because I've advised some of those. Adam, what's your experience with seed companies? Yeah. So I advise a couple and I always show a slide to them when I'm like telling them what they should do. And it's like all the marketing stuff. And I'm like, this is not a marketing strategy. You can probably only do like two of these things. The marketing stuff. (laughs) Right. Where it's just like you could be doing, because it's, I think part of it is when you're reporting to a founder there, they want, they look at everything else and all the other competitors that are maybe way further along in their journey. And they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, why aren't we doing, you know, Facebook ads? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? What's our content strategy? And it's like, you're not going to be able to do you're usually like one marketing person. I think the biggest thing there is what are you saying no to and is just as important as what you're saying yes to, because mm-hmm. you can probably only truly do like two things, aligning what is the number one thing that we need to get right. Is it the messaging positioning? Is it, we just need users uh, of the product, uh, whatever it might be. And then just focusing your efforts on like, what are the two biggest things you could do to impact that? Um, yeah. Because otherwise you end up in this tailspin where you're just doing a ton of different things. And then it's like, oh, this person's not strategic enough, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, mm-hmm. but it's like, well, you've asked me to do a hundred different things. So it's really oh, hard right. to, to figure out what I need to do. And I think the other thing with seed companies is you, you're you're likely reporting to the CEO. And if you're not, it's still only 10 person company. So they're involved in everything. And so yeah. like making sure you're going to a company where you feel strong about the CEO because they're going to dictate the environment of that company so much. It's not like at a 300 person company where you're on the marketing team and maybe you don't interact with the CEO outside of like once every month on this one, it's, you're going to be really hands-on with that person, right? Which is good and bad because you can learn mm-hmm. a ton, but if it's the wrong CEO, it could be a disaster. Yeah. I think too, one of the benefits of it is because of that, like you own almost everything that you touch. Like there's a huge impact obviously, but it's not necessarily a good environment for somebody that has like strong imposter syndrome, right? Because nobody's going to really, if you're the marketing person on a four person team, like, you know, marketing the best, you might not know it the best out of anybody you've ever met, but out of that team, like you're the marketing expert. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, hey, we could try this or we could try that. It's like, you have to just do it. You have zero budget and you're you're basically proving the value of your work uh, with like the least amount of resources possible. And if that sounds exciting to you, like seed round. If that sounds like hell and you would never be able to get anything done because you need to have visible, don't join a seed round company. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't, do you guys have any idea what like a salary looks like for a seed round company? I do for a head of marketing, yes, because <laughs> I've recently uh, talked to someone about that. <laughs> I said no. Um, but it was for like head of marketing, it was like 140 with 0.75 to one ish percent stock yeah. as well. Um, so like in say like way more stock than I would have that I than I've ever been offered. And I've always entered companies right after Series A. Um, like that is <laughs> Three. I'm a three for on that one. I'm I'm right after Series B is typically when I enter too. Love that for us. Everybody um, has a thing. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, in terms of salary, I was like pretty um, surprised for like head of marketing, but also like if you're a VP of marketing at like a Series A or Series B company, it's going to be more than that. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and I think for for seed round companies too, I think the big bet is equity, right? Um, mm-hmm. That you're you're getting a lot of equity and hopefully it grows into something. You guys talked about that in your last one. 
but then you have to be able to purchase that equity on the way out. And right. that's a lot easier when you come in at a seed round because like your shares are worth two cents a share, right? So it's like, oh, yeah. cut a cut a check for $10 and you got 20,000 shares or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. and whereas like if you join a Series C and the valuation is like $20 a share or $15 mm-hmm. a share, you're going to have a hard time leaving. And like, unless you have, you know, 50, 60 grand laying around that you yeah. can just put in to buy into equity when you leave, uh, it makes it a lot harder. So the other thing too is uh, you have to go in and depending on who you are and stuff like that, with the knowledge that as the company raises money and starts to do things, they're going to look to build out the team. Uh-huh. And a lot of times what happens is you go from owning everything to being like, hey, we're actually just going to have you run content and we're going to bring a demand gen person in and then we're going to bring in a VP of marketing mm-hmm. above all of you. And mm-hmm. I think some yes. people are like, but wait, like what? I've been doing a great job. Like why aren't I, why aren't I moving into the VP role, right? And so um, I think just going in and with a clear understanding of like what does that path look like and having that conversation even in the interview process, say like, okay, we're seed now. Like what happens? How do you see this team like evolving? Right. And like is there an opportunity for me to ma- still manage it all when we raise $10 million or whatever as a Series A? Yeah, um, that's a good, great because, point. Because I think people, a lot of times you see struggle with that because it's like, oh, we're going to bring in someone above you and it feels like a slight against you almost like, but why? Right. right? Well, um, and I I think too, it's interesting to say, Sarah, you said you're always coming after Series A. I typically come in between Series B and Series C. Uh, my old boss, is, he said, he's like, I bring companies from 10 to 25 ARR and then I go find another one because yep. it's the same mix of tactics. So you typically find the same person. So like it is typical that they bring in somebody that's quote, like done it before, especially yeah. at, like once you get past Series B, it's like, okay, we need a marketing leader. We need somebody that has been here before, not somebody that's just like continuing to learn. But obviously what being able to continue to learn it is what got you you know, one and a half years in. So yeah, it is kind of like a stab in the heart to be like, actually, you're not doing this anymore. I I couldn't, I couldn't do that personally. I would take it so, I would take it so bad. Molly Graham, who built Facebook on the operations side, has a really good essay slash talk about this called uh, Giving Up Your Legos, where essentially like if you're working at a high growth, evolving startup, you're going to be replaced every nine months. Someone's going to come in who's better at that thing than you are and you can, and that's okay because you can then move up strategically. Mm -hmm. Like in the sense of giving up your Legos, like you might be working on the toe of like a giant giraffe or whatever, and now you can go work on the face. Like, and that's more exciting than the the little freaking toe down at the bottom. (laughs) So you just have to leave your Legos there and like go pick up the other ones. And I think that mindset also of like, I'm going to be replaced. Someone's going to come in and know more than me about that. Great. Because I have a high level understanding of what the business needs and not necessarily the execution chops to get that shit done. So I can take a more strategic role. Someone, It's, it's the concept of hire someone smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're cool with that and you're, you're confident in that and you want to do that, then yeah, like go be the first person at a startup to build, at a seed round startup to build that team out and replace yourself. Yeah. Again, that just speaks to more later. That takes maturity. Mm-hmm. That takes you being confident in what you're doing and knowing what you do well and like leaving everything else to, I'm going to find somebody else that's really good at that thing mm-hmm. and support them to do that thing instead of worry about me having to figure that thing out. Yep. But it's definitely your life is going to get flipped, right? Because you bring in, you're going to have, you 
we're reporting to the CEO. Nine months later, potentially, you're then reporting into a head of marketing or a director of marketing. And suddenly you have a new boss, your scope's been reduced uh, from what you were normally touching. And I think there's two ways to look at it. One is like, oh, it's, my scope's been reduced or it's, oh, now I get the focus and I have more resources and I have more guidance and all this sort of stuff. So just going into it with that mindset, I think because it, it is going to change, right? Yeah. If, if they're seen around like within a year, it's going to change or they're probably not going to be a company, right? Yeah. <laughs> because if they haven't raised an A, like it's probably not going to continue. Yeah. All right, let's get into A. I feel like we already have been. I think it's more series B, but like, what are they What are they focusing on? Are they focusing on you having a really strong product and taking your time to get there and like building after that? Or are they focused on we want 3x growth within six months? So that matters. But obviously, like that's the CEO's call. Yeah, I see seed to series A. Like when I've entered companies who have just recently raised series A, like the foundation that they've already set should be decent. When you raise your series A, that gives you the budget to hire people, hire a few more people who can then help set the foundation for your area of focus. So like the product goes from like hacky code base to like an actual productized organizational structure within the code base. On the marketing side, you've set the foundation for some sort of process on the channels that you have decided are like your main channels. Usually you're still focusing on just those one to two because they've started to really work and pick up steam and you still don't have the full resources to build out like a, a full team. Right. Um, just go deep where you are. Yeah. But like that seed to series A is kind of when you're like building out the strong foundation for those specific channels that you are focused on. On the sales side, if there is a sales team, like one to two, there are like one to two sales reps maybe. Yeah. I think as soon as it starts to really take a toll on your day-to-day, that's when you're like, but you you push yeah. things in Series A until they, until break. they break. Yeah. You're Not pushing the people. Your... Well, maybe people, but... <laughs> but you push every single like process until it doesn't work for you anymore and you have to go find a solution because that's how you prove out a use case when you go sell it up, but until you have that problem. Yeah. I think the other thing too to figure out as a marketer joining a Series A company is what is their growth plan? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and specifically, what are they expecting and how to get there? That's your point. Is it like, we want to, you know, 10x our revenue over the next year? Like, okay, fine. Uh, what did you do last year? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we didn't, we grew at 20%. Okay, well, 10x in this year might be really hard. Just because you got money doesn't mean suddenly you can do, a, like suddenly growth is just magically going to happen. So then it's, well, how do you see that happening, right? And talking to them and asking those kinds of questions, where are the investments you're making? Because if you're saying you want 10x growth over the next year, is there going to be a strong belief in building a long-term content strategy, right? Or is mm-hmm. it, we have three people, it's more short-term short-term thinking, right? And so if you're a content leader thinking about joining that company, like understanding, like you might have a hard time fighting for resources because like all the money is going to go into paid advertising or demand gen campaigns and stuff like that. And also reverse engineering it, right? So like, okay, we want to hit whatever, $10 million this year in revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, And say like, okay, what's your close rate, right? And oh, it's 30%. So, and knowing the ACV, so you need basically like, you know, 10,000 leads a month in order to hit this yep. number. And it's like, mm-hmm. what's the monthly marketing budget? Oh, it's $10,000. Right. Okay. So I have to generate like leads for a yeah. dollar. <laughs> You're like, I, yeah, I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, and not to say there's not like scrappy, low cost ways you can go about doing things, but you have to have the resources. So making sure you're sussing that out in the interview process, it's kind of shocking sometimes when I talk to growth people and I'm interviewing them or 
advising them and ask these questions and it's they just don't even ask like what what is the company growth plan it's like that's the number you're signing up for right, right? Mm-hmm. or if you're a content leader like and, and the understanding like what are their traffic goals and how how do they measure success in traffic because if you're coming in thinking i want to build brand type of content and you know all this sort of stuff and oh we expect 500 trials a month from our content that's a very different strategy right, right. so yeah. right. knowing that coming in is super important at that stage yeah. Right. And I think that's how you, the company even susses out. Is this person going to own what they're doing or are they going to say like, mm, sorry, I tried. I think too, going back to like when you're interviewing and asking about growth plans, it's important to, especially when you're series A, even series B, like meet with as many of the executives, especially if you're coming up into a leadership position. I want to make sure sales is saying the same thing that marketing is saying in terms of not just the numbers, but the growth plan. Mm-hmm. Um and success and product. Like I want to know that like everybody has been told the same thing is like all working toward the same goal. That's not, that's not typical that, that you you get that, you know, like companies aren't always like people know their number, but like, does the sales team know the marketing number? Maybe. I think that's tough in series A because like your seed round growth is not going to determine your series A growth. That's going to determine your series B growth. It's honestly, you you can't really accurately forecast for a demand gen or a sales strategy until between series B and C, I think. Because what got us to series A, like specifically voice flow, is not going to get us to series B. So we need to shift our growth plans, which means that for for like the A to B sort of transition, you you're kind of testing things and figuring out what works. So there isn't like you have to be comfortable with you can't take the high level ARR goal and do a work back plan to exactly how many webinars you need to run to hit whatever. Right. Because yep. you've done three webinars. Right. Or, maybe. or pour like, more money into paid ads and just hope that the if you're it, even doing it ends paid up being ads. the same. It's not the same. Like yeah. for yep. a lot of a lot of companies who rely really heavily on like an inbound strategy, like ads aren't introduced until post series B. You don't have the money for it. You don't have the need for it because you're building an inbound motion and you focus more heavily on like PLG content and like brand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But understanding the strategies or the bets they want to make, right? Like if I asked you, if I was interviewing at VoiceFlow and I said like, well, what are the three big strategies or four strategies you guys are betting on this year? Yeah, exactly. um, that'll give me a good understanding of like, okay, because your point, like you're not really going to know what tactic is going to get you there necessarily, but you know what you need to get there. Right. And so like, you should have a good handle on uh, the numbers of what you need to drive in order to hit these goals. Uh, and then like the strategies and bets you're willing to make. So, yeah. So that's like more of the question when you're joining a company that's like raising or has just recently raised a series A is like, there's not going to be a growth, an exact number. And you have to be comfortable also with kind of hypothesizing your own specific goals for the Mm -hmm. channels that you own. Because Mm -hmm. I have one quarter's worth of historical data. And we've we've already changed so much in terms of focus and strategy this quarter. So like I can't use that as the source of truth, but I can Mm -hmm. use it as a base Mm -hmm. um, and be like, all right, I'm just going to kind of guess, but like an educated guess. They're all yeah. what is work-life balance like for, at a Series A company? Uh, I would say it, it varies drastically. So I used to work at a Series A company, and it was working like crazy hours. This was like pre-kids. And I think this is kind of why I pinged you, is understanding what you want out of life 
and how does that align to the startups you're joining, right? Mm -hmm. So we were just having uh, my daughter, this is like six years ago, and it was like an insanely stressful time because we had enough runway for like six months. It was like a 30 person team. It was just complete chaos. Everyone was working like 15 hour days uh, and it, it sucked, right? It was yeah, like, it and, and it's like, I don't want to do this anymore of working this crazy life where that's all I was doing. And not mm -hmm. to say like every series A startup is out there. I think there's been a big shift, I think in terms of how people are trying to build companies yeah. um, and, and really like actually focusing on work-life balance, but like aligning what you want to that, I think makes a big difference, right? If you're not at a stage where you're willing to work longer hours or have a little more chaos in your life, don't mm -hmm. join a series A startup, right? Because right. you have a, you have a way more likelihood of that being the case than if you well, joined a more established company. I right. think too, like every company in an interview is going to say we have great work-life balance. Yep. But back to our earlier, like you sussed that out by saying like, okay, what are the growth plans? Series A to series B timeline is fairly short. So like there's a lot of work to do and like a very small amount of time. And again, reverse engineering that back. Yeah, it turns into 10 and 12 hour days. I think it can be really hard for people that come through series A to like get used to like the next stage too, where, okay, we have a bigger team. We have to prioritize more work-life balance. We have to prioritize letting people work the way that they want to work. It's not just two people anymore. There's 15 people on this team. Mm -hmm. um, and like getting that mentality back through of like, okay, everybody just like take a breath and like, calm, like slow down. Nobody needs to work 12 hours a day anymore because there's 15 people here. Yep. I think the other thing too, so I talked to a CEO a few weeks ago and to your point, series A company on their website, it talks about like work-life balance and we value employees. And she literally told me in the call that she's looking for a head of growth. She's wants someone who is willing to do whatever it takes, work 14 hour days. So like, and she's telling me this and it's like the messaging you're putting on the site is not that right. But, so that's, but that is, that's the biggest problem I'm seeing. And you said it earlier with companies are starting to build differently because we as employees like value our lives more. If you want to work nine to five and like turn your brain off at five, the, like the earliest I would say, you should join a company is series C or series yeah. D yep. when there is like a fully baked out team and there is a st very strong strategic direction of the company. Uh, we're like a little bit masochistic in, in the kinds of companies that we like to join like seed series A series B because inherently there's a lot of public recognition for your work, but they can't, they don't have the money to pay you like what a series C or series D company could be. So it's like, very self-motivating unless it's not. I was going to say, you also have to know what you want to get out of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the big things too, because like you both have probably experienced this working at Drift and working at G2. It's like, those are companies that are career makers in terms of, you can get recruited just because you worked at G2. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, you worked at G2. You were on the content team at G2, like amazing. Yep. Can you come lead our content? If you were doing the same wonderful job at a different company that no one had really heard of, you wouldn't have the same opportunities presented there, right? What I was about to say is, yeah, you have to prioritize what you want. And for me, like I'm a builder, I like to create things. So that's, it's yes, a little bit masochistic, like Sarah said, but like, it's a little bit like, I want more control. I want more, I want resources and control, which always puts me in series B. Yeah. I also think it's like, what are you optimizing your life for? Is it, do you want to make a ton of money over the next few years? Mm -hmm. um, do you want to have 
good work-life balance and and not have work be your whole thing. So a, a little bit like I th- heard Guillaume say that on a podcast is like he treats his time like a VC, where it's like Can't where <laughs> yeah, where it's like every it, like honestly, if you think about your career, like every two years, the way the system's set up, it's probably beneficial for you to leave mm-hmm. and go to another company, right? You get two more years of equity at another company. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about it like playing roulette, you're just getting more chips on the table because the reality is most companies aren't going to give you some sort of payout, right? And so mm-hmm. over the course of 10 years, if you work at five companies with two years of equity on all five, um, you're going to have a much more likelihood of having a positive payout at the end yeah. of those 10 years versus if you work at two companies for five years each, right? For If we're still going back to like startups, I think C er, Series B and before, you like to create something out of nothing. Series C and post, you like to optimize what's already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's like kind of the mindset shift that I've seen at least. And I think it's interesting if you join a Series C company, usually there's channel leaders, right? Like a G2, mm-hmm. we had like a VP of content, a VP of brand, yeah. a VP of demand gen, like all these things. And you're they're almost like their own marketing teams, right? Mm-hmm. Like our demand gen team was 15 people. What you're signing up for then is a couple of things. One, you get to work with usually really good leaders at the individual thing that you're doing, right? Like mm-hmm. if you look across like the leaders we had at G2, I think all of them were super strong. Your interactions with the CMO or the CEO are probably somewhat minimal. So you're not getting that exposure. Mm-hmm. But the other big benefit you get is you get to work on a team with 60 marketers. Like how big and in two years time, like all of those marketers are at other companies doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like at one point you were all on a team together yeah. right and so like your that, network explodes uh because everyone kind of goes out into the world series b and c they're both like growth phases right it's kind of like you said we build out the teams and then the teams kind of like run on their own everybody works a little bit more siloed but like the cry for team building is bigger than ever because everybody's siloed culture i think at companies kind of takes a focus in b and c mm-hmm. um mostly because companies start to lose grip of what their actual culture looks like, uh, which is hard. I think that we don't talk about that enough is the culture changes from seed to A to B and then B to C to D is very different mm-hmm. there because it's what, maybe 300 people. How do you, That's how do you do one, that? Yeah. One thing that, well, one, there's the Dunbar number, which is 150 people means that like you, you no longer have the culture that you had with 149 people. You cannot have personal relationships with 150 people at one time. And so your startup culture is inevitably, inevitably going to change. But I think there's also like a very weird slash interesting shift of when people have been at a company from like seed series A, and now you're like deeper into series B or C and they have the like good old days syndrome uh, and they're like well it wasn't it, it didn't used to be like this and like oh remember like the first office and like mm-hmm. oh my god like this that's like your friend from middle school that's like remember when like with your friends now in high school and they're like <laughs> yeah. remember when we did this and it's like shut the fuck up nobody cares it's and it's it's really weird to come in like later stage when there are people who have been there for a long time because they have that like back in the day kind of sin like back in the day syndrome i think And that's kind of why I think that like making a change in job, like not staying at a company for like five years is actually beneficial for a company's culture because there are always going to be people who have been there when it didn't used to look like this and have liked and liked it better when it was like that. Yep. Yeah. Everyone, 
a lot of CEOs or founders will say like, when you ask them like, what's the the vision of the company? It's like, oh, we want to be a hundred million dollar company in like four years. And it's like you and you and everyone else, how many hundred million dollar companies are there in reality? Right. And so right. I think that's when you think about joining one is like understanding also when things aren't going that direction, what is going to happen? Right. Yeah. So it's like you make these big bets and you have huge burns and it's, you're not hitting the growth goals. Like things are going to happen that aren't pleasant for a lot of people and and has nothing to do with you personally right but you might be sitting there as part of a layoff because of that um you see like you know the better.com things where you know they're laying off three thousand people on a zoom call and it's like Mm -hmm. that's why i think it's smarter to view it of like what am i hoping to get out of this in the next two years or however Mm -hmm. long you plan on being there and make sure you have a plan outside of just i'm going to be here for the next four or five years yes you have to have a plan outside of the company's plan. Yes. I think that Adam you've done that very well. Incredibly well. Adam, can you tell us about the cheese in your fridge? The cheese in my fridge? Yeah, do you have cheese uh, in your fridge? Yeah, I do. So we my wife's Italian, so we always have like a block of parmesan cheese in the fridge. Uh yeah. and then we have tons of the like Bella little circle cheese things cuz my daughter eats those like crazy. Uh, that's pretty much the cheese in the fridge. Some good cheese. It's good for still cheese. It's a good cheese. Outside um, of that, my son just eats hot dogs. So, like, <laughs> I love that life. Adam, where can people find you? Uh, where can they keep up with your your thoughts and your knowledge? Uh, mostly LinkedIn. I randomly will post random things on Twitter, but you can follow me there too. LinkedIn or Twitter. Sweet, love it. Thanks so much for chatting right. with us and sharing your expertise. Yes. I didn't cover the fact that I tried to hire both of you at some point and you both told me no, but. <laughs> I don't recall that. <laughs> I don't you think should... that was us. Yeah. <laughs> One day, Adam, we will certainly work for you. Yes. I, I guarantee. <laughs> I'm being serious. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it'll happen. It'll happen. I'm going to keep trying. So, yeah, just planting plan the seed for next year. Yeah. Perfect. Incredible. Let us know where you go next and yeah, maybe right? we'll follow you there. Yeah, true. Let us know. Okay. Okay. Love you. Bye.